She sat in the doctor's office with tears welling up in her eyes and frustration growing in the pit of her stomach as she was told no again. Her three-month-old baby boy, who couldn't crawl, who couldn't communicate what was wrong, had a hernia that he needed surgery for. And they found surgeons. Many surgeons were, were willing to do the surgery, but what they couldn't find was an anesthesiologist. Because a hernia wasn't baby Aaron's only problem. Baby Aaron was born with a heart condition, a lung condition, and an undeveloped brain. And every anesthesiologist that they went to said the same exact thing. It's too risky. It's too risky. If if we do this surgery, there's a good chance that Aaron won't make it. And so no, I'm not willing to take the risk. And as his mother sat there that day, being told no once again, she looked at the anesthesiologist and she said, would you like to hold him? Would you like to hold Aaron? And so the anesthesiologist, not knowing what to say, said, sure. And he took baby Aaron in his arms. And he held Aaron for several minutes. And he looked up at the parents And then he looked down back at baby Aaron and he said, let's do the surgery. And the surgery was a success. And Aaron came through just fine. Later, Aaron's mom said, what happened in that moment? In that moment, for that anesthesiologist, what changed was he became a human being. That baby became not a case Not a problem, not some medical concerns. That baby in his arms became an individual who needed compassion. And it was holding that child that changed and brought the compassion to the anesthesiologist to say, let's do it. Have you ever experienced something like that. Imagine the frustration that that woman had to have. She knew all these people had the power to help. But from her view, no one had the compassion to help. And isn't that the way that the the world goes, it seems? That, That people either have the power to help, but no compassion to help, or they have the compassion to help, but they don't have the power to help. We see it all the time. And do you ever feel that way about God? That he either has compassion for us or not the power to help, or he has the power to help but not the compassion. Because if he'd had both, why wouldn't he bring good to our life? That's what we're going to talk about today as we look at Mark chapter 7. As we continue through the book of Mark Last week we looked at the first part of Mark chapter 7 with clean and unclean hands and that whole dialogue. The end of Mark chapter 7 uh, is where we pick up today. And we're going to jump right into the first couple verses, 31 and 32. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. 
Stop right there. Uh, Jesus took, uh, for lack of a better word, a a mini vacation here, uh, is what we see. Why? In the Middle East, in in the land of the Israelites, uh, Jesus was so popular that there was nowhere he could go to have some rest. He'd go into somebody's house thinking that he'd have the night to himself, and what would happen? There'd be a line of people outside gathering around the house to hear Jesus. And so Jesus wants to get away from the crowds for a little bit. And so where does he go? Way up north to Tyre. If you can picture the Middle East map, you've got Jerusalem down here. You've got the Dead Sea. You've got the Jordan River, which goes up to the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum's up there on the Sea of Galilee. You've got Nazareth. Uh, Way north of that, out of Israelite territory, is a town called Tyre. Jesus went there, and then he came down to Sidon, which is still north of Israelite territory. From there... He went to a place called the Decapolis, which was east of the Sea of Galilee. And it was called the Decapolis because there was ten cities in the region. And it was all Gentile territory. In other words, non-Jewish territory. And so this is where Jesus is at. He's in the Decapolis, not with Jewish people. uh, And these Gentiles, non-Jewish people, bring to him a deaf man and a man who can hardly talk. And what do they want? They want Jesus to put his hand on him and heal him. Imagine being that man. He can't hear at all. What must he be feeling that day? We're assuming that these are his friends. His friends come to him all excited. But they can't communicate to him where they're going. They can't communicate why they're excited. They can't tell him, hey, we're going to go see this person, Jesus, who's this healer. They can't communicate to him. And so they're all excited and they start leading him down the city. And they turn the corner and what does he see? He sees this man with a big crowd around him. That's what we're told in a little bit, that there was a crowd. And so there's this big crowd. What are you feeling if you're this guy? Confusion? Who is this man? What's going on? But maybe fear. Who is this man? What's he going to do? Why do they want me to talk to? Why do they want to bring me to him? Fear of embarrassment. Am I going to be the spectacle again? Am I going to see that look of pity and confusion as I don't understand and as they don't understand me when I talk? There's all these emotions that this man had to be feeling because he doesn't know Jesus. And so how does Jesus respond? Let's look at the rest of it. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh, said to him, Ephetha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What does Jesus do for the man? He takes him away from the crowd, we're told. He takes him away from the crowd. Why? Because Jesus has compassion. 
and a tender heart. And what is he not going to let this man be? A spectacle. He's not going to let this man be a problem. He's not going to let this man be other people's entertainment as Jesus heals him. He's not going to do that to the man. Because the man's probably confused and has no idea what's going on. And Jesus has tender compassion for this man. And so he takes him away from the crowd. And then what does he do? He sticks his fingers in the man's ears. He spits and touches the man's tongue. Which is pretty gross, if we're honest. And I'm sure, if you, if you weren't thinking it before, <laughs> you are now. But you read and you're like, wow, that's pretty gross. Um, at Jesus' time, uh, it was believed that healer's saliva was a healing agent. And so what's Jesus doing for this man? He's communicating to him what he's going to do. He wants to take any confusion away. And so he sticks his ear, fingers in his ears. I'm going to do something to your ears. And I'm going to heal your tongue. Because he has compassion for the man. He has tender compassion. And then he looks up to heaven and sighs as he identifies with the man's sorrow. The sorrow that has taken him captive for the majority of his life. You see, when Jesus looks at a person, he doesn't see a problem. He sees them as they are, a person. And that's your first point today. Jesus doesn't see a problem. He sees a person. This is what's so amazing about this section of scripture. In the book of Mark, what have we seen again and again? We've seen the power of Jesus. We've seen just how powerful he is as he calms storms, as he casts out demons. We've seen his power after power after power. And yet, what do we see here? We see his compassionate and tender heart for people. And that's what he has for you. He sees your problems, he sees your suffering. And he has compassion for you. He sees you as you continue to deal with your celiac disease. He sees you as you deal with the trauma from the past that you can't get past. He sees you as you deal with the nightmares that keep you up at night and you deal with insomnia because of it. He sees you as you can't have children. He sees you as you have cancer or a loved one has cancer. He sees you as you have hearing problems. He sees you as your eyesight starts to go. He sees you in your paralysis. He sees you. And how does he feel? Tender-hearted compassion for people. That's what we learn from this section of Scripture. Our Savior has a tender, compassionate heart for people. He doesn't see problems. He doesn't see statistics. He doesn't see risks. He sees a person who needs the compassion of our God. And that's what he saw with this individual. And as he stood before him, what did he do? He looked up to heaven and he said, Ephatha, be opened. And the man's ears opened and his tongue became loose. Literally, it says the chains were gone from his tongue so he could speak clearly. Imagine being that man. Imagine hearing for the first time birds chirping. Imagine for the first time hearing everything that's happening in the marketplace, all the selling, all the the voices. Imagine for the first time hearing someone say your name 
and it's the Savior looking back at you. Imagine for the first time being able to speak and speak clearly so people aren't confused when they look at you. Jesus completely healed this man. He not only has compassion, he has the power to make good. You know, we look at this section of scripture and we're filled, it it puts a smile on our face. Look at what Jesus did for this man. And yet at the same time, do you ever feel like the person on the outside? The, The one sitting against the wall, observing all of this, and you see the goodness that Jesus did for this man. You saw the goodness that Jesus brought for him, and, and yet you're sitting against the wall, and you still have your problems. And you still have your suffering. We look at this section of Scripture and we say, Jesus, I see your compassion, I see your power, but it always seems to be for someone else. Because here I am, still dealing Here I am, still taken captive. Here I am, still in my hardships and suffering. Where is your compassion and and where is your power that I see in Scripture? Where is it for me? And if we're honest, it's sections like this that, that cause us to start kind of doubting and questioning. God, are you a compassionate God? and a powerful God, or one or the other, because I don't see it in my life. I don't see it in this world. And so what are you? Are you compassionate? Are you powerful? Because we look here and we say, this is great, but I don't see it today. And honestly, that's pretty tough. Do you know what I think the key phrase is in this entire section to help us understand? It's verse 36. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. What? (laughs) Jesus, you just made this man hear. He can finally talk. And you don't want him to go and tell anyone? He probably has many more people like him that want to line up to get healed too. Why would you tell him not to go tell anyone? Because being a healer is not what Jesus came to do. This shows us what ultimately Jesus came to do. And that wasn't to just be a healer here and now, but Jesus came to do something even greater. And Mark gives us a little hint for that. I'm going to go down a little rabbit hole. I hope you come with me. I promise I'm going to bring it all back. The Old Testament was written in, uh, in the language of the, it was Hebrew. And then when, when Greek became the, the worldwide language, so to speak, uh, they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, and it's called the Septuagint. And so when Jesus day, during Jesus' day, the priests and, and everyone in the temple, they used the Hebrew, but your, your common everyday person could read the Old Testament in the common language, Greek. Mark here, for the deaf and mute man, uses a word called maliganos. It's a word that's used one other time in all of Scripture, and it's found in the Greek version of the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 35, which we read earlier. And what do we read there? Be strong, do not fear. 
Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then, when he comes to save us, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then he will, the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. What is Mark saying? Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture. Isaiah chapter 35, the one who has come to save his people. And what would mark the saving of his people? The eyes of the blind would be open. The, deafs of, deaf of, or the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame would leap like a deer. And the mute tongue would shout for joy. Mark is saying this one is the savior to come. The one who would come to do something we all need and something that none of us have power to do. Reverse the curse. And that's your last point. Jesus came to reverse the curse. He came to reverse the curse of sin. God did not create this world with deaf ears. He did not create this world with mute tongues. He did not create this world with paralysis. He did not create this world with blindness. He did not create this world with the suffering that you are going through. He created it perfectly. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin came and brought a curse to this world and all the suffering you go through, all the hardships that you endure, everything is because sin is in the world. And what did Jesus come to do? Save his people and reverse the curse. And in his compassion, in his power, he came to do that. He had compassion upon you and me. So much compassion that he came here to demonstrate his power, to bring his power, to do what only he can do, and that is reverse the curse of sin. And we see it as he does this for the man. But did you catch what else is significant about this portion, this section of scripture. He stands before the man and what does he do? He sighs. And the Greek word is, he moans in distress. Why in the world would he moan? We would think that Jesus has a big old grin on his face, a big smile. You're about to heal the man. Why are you so upset, Jesus? Because what does Jesus know? That in order to eternally reverse the curse, Jesus would have to become the curse for us. That in order to open this man's ears, to open his tongue eternally, to open eternal life to people, Jesus would have to become the curse of sin to break the curse of sin on us. And that is what he came to do. And as he sits there, stands there before the man, he sighs knowing exactly where his life ends. And it's at the cross, becoming the curse of our sin for us, to pay for our sin. He came with divine retribution, not to uh, enact divine retribution, but to bear divine retribution in our place. So that through his death and resurrection, the curse of sin no longer has power over us. So that the curse of sin will end, and it will end with us walking through eternal life. It'll end with us leaping. It'll end with us singing praise to God. It'll end with us hearing the praises of God. It'll end with us walking into eternal life, healthy, sound, perfect. This is what Jesus came to do. Not just to bring healing for 30, 40, 60 years. 
but to bring eternal healing to you and me. And that's what we have through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it's something that you and I get to look forward to. It's the hope of the Christian life. It's that hope that it's not just here, but it's forever. And why did Jesus do this for us? Only because of his deep compassion for you and for me. He has the power to reverse the curse of sin. And we see it as he rises from the dead, opening up eternal life to you and to me. Do you know what else he does for us right now? He comes to us with his word. He comes to us with the power of his word and the water as baptism washes us. And he says, Ephetha, be open and our spiritual ears open so we hear the hope that he has called us to. He comes to us in the Lord's Supper and he says, take and eat my body and blood. Here I am with you to assure you that eternal life is yours. That one day you will walk through heaven's gates because they've been opened. Because Jesus has looked at them and said, Ephetha. And they will never close as you and I walk through them for eternal life. It's because our Savior is a compassionate and powerful Savior who's come to reverse the curse for you and for me that no matter what we're going through, whether good or bad, we can sit and say, I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of my God. And that's what Alan Gardner did. Alan Gardner was uh, a missionary to the southern tip of South America in 1851. He died when he was 51 years old. And what did he die from? Starvation and disease. As he was bringing the gospel of Jesus to the southern tip of South America. When, he was, when his body was found, there was a diary lying next to him. And as they opened up that diary and read the diary, what did they see? They saw story after story of the hardship that Alan experienced while bringing the gospel to the southern tip of South America. Wounds, disease, starvation, thirst, loneliness, all these things that he endured. And they turned the page to the very last entrance that he had in the diary. And you could tell that the end was near because his writing was bigger and it was all shaky. And yet what did the last entry say? I am overwhelmed by the goodness of my God. How could he say that? Because heaven's gates are opened. Because Jesus came with compassion and power to reverse the curse. And he had eternal life to look forward to with all those sicknesses, all those diseases. His starvation, his thirst, everything would be taken away. And that's what you and I have too. And it's because of Jesus, our compassionate and gracious Savior, that we can stand here today going through hardship, no hardship, whatever we're going through. And we can say, I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of my God that he would come with compassion and power to reverse the curse so eternal life is mine through Christ Jesus. May we stay close to him. May we cling to him because it's only through him, the compassionate and powerful Lord, that the curse has been reversed and eternal life is ours. Let's pray. Gracious Savior Jesus, we praise and thank you for this section of scripture because we get to see your heart. Not only are you a powerful God, you are a compassionate God who cares for his people. You see all the problems we have, you see the suffering, and you sigh in a deep sigh, a moan as you 
uh, identify with us. As you endured the pain and suffering of this life, uh, you can empathize with us in our weakness because you took on human flesh to be like us. You have that compassion for us, but you also have the power to help and to bring good. And that is what we see here in this section of Scripture. We see the power, the, the goodness that you bring as you reverse the curse and, and, and bring it all the way back to the very beginning, just how it was in the perfect Garden of Eden. Wherever you went, you were bringing the new heavens and the new earth as you reversed the curse. And that's what we have to look forward to. You're a God who, who brings good and makes good uh, even in the bad and, and in the evil of this world. We ask that as we uh, continue in, in this life to help us to cling to you because you're the only hope we have. The hope to live uh, holy and perfectly and whole uh, and in eternal life. It's because of you that the gates of heaven have been opened and it's because of you that we have hope in this life and the next. Continue to fill us with that hope as we live now. Uh, heal our hearts and heal our bodies and heal our minds as we cling to that hope forever. It's in your name we pray. Amen.